Well, as I mentioned this morning, we are beginning this series called People of the Spirit. Now, I understand we all come from different backgrounds, right? And so we all have different perspectives when it comes to our faith in God or the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, some of the things that we're talking about. I mean, you know, you talk about having a spiritual life conference or supernatural life, and you'll have some people in church going, oh, I can't wait. They're just so excited and so just anticipating. You know, then you, you have somebody else on the other side kind of going, you know, kind of get spooked by that kind of stuff. Um, what you're going to discover as we, as we walk through a number of these topics over the next several weeks um, my desire really is just to kind of be in the middle of the road because I think when it comes to the things of God, there is a place. Uh, not balance. When we use balance, it means nothing happens. I don't mean it that way. But, you know, on the, when you're driving a road, there's always ditches on both sides, right? Left side and right side. And I find when it comes to the things of the Spirit, yeah, you kind of got one ditch here that's kind of like this, you know, uh, well, I got everything I need, you know? And then on the other side, you got a ditch where someone's just flaky and kooky and way out here, and you're wondering, like, that can't be God. Well, there is a balance in there, and there's enough balance in there that wherever you may find yourself, how many believe that God wants to stretch you, right? I mean, if God is God and we're not, odds are he probably wants to stretch you. If his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, his ways higher than my ways, well, odds are I don't know it all, and I don't operate in everything he intends for me. I don't have everything he has for me, and so there has to be a willingness to be, to be stretched, but I want to ensure us uh, this morning, that the Holy Spirit is not mystical, he's not bizarre. What I find, it's usually people who are strange. It's usually people who kind of get one extreme or another. It's not so much the Lord if you're in his word and you're open to what he wants to do in your life. Uh, the Bible tells us, in fact, that Jesus is the one who fills us with his Holy Spirit. And so if you're kind of nervous on the things of the Holy Spirit, just relax. Because Jesus said that the Father has nothing but good things for his children. Amen. The Father gives good things to the children. He knows exactly what we need, where we are, what fulfills us, what we enjoy, and he has those things uh, for us. In fact, the Bible says that God actually created us with a desire by the Holy Spirit to have a personal relationship with him. And then he sent Jesus to make that possible, right? That's what we were talking about with Easter Sunday and, and Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and so on. But then Jesus turns around in the New Testament and he gives us the Holy Spirit to fulfill those desires, and then to live within us. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit live within us? Because he wants to part us to participate with him in the greatest thing he's come to do, and that very simply is to reach lost people. That's really what it's all about. Amen? Everything the Lord gives us, everything he's done for us on the cross by the power of his resurrection, by sending the Holy Spirit, is that we might see more people come to Jesus Christ, that he might be able to heal brokenness, restore lives, bring people into that relationship with him. So God has something good for you, I assure you, in these weeks ahead. And as we journey over these next several weeks, what we're going to be studying is based on the word of God. So if, you, you know, if, if something kind of feels like it's stretching you or something you're not too sure of, I encourage you, get into the Word of God. Now, please understand this, that the Holy Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Okay? Now, I don't mean disrespect by that. It's God the Father, God the Son, and what? God the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that the, that the Word of God is not prominent in our lives. We verify all things by the Word of God. But the problem is, is we can go into Scripture ourselves and create a theology that we are comfortable with and not allow the Holy Spirit to be the Spirit of Revelation who shows us things that we may not be comfortable with, but they are true and the Father has them for us. Does that make sense? 
We can fashion theology all we want. You see, I'm a student of the Word. I've been preaching the Scriptures for 35 years, and I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again for anybody who is new, and I'll say this. I am less concerned with being doctrinally correct than I am with being spiritually alive. You see, doctrine is wonderful, but doctrine is only a belief system. And the belief system that you fashion will be determined by how much you are open to the author of the book. How open you are to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of revelation. Is your theology, your doctrine based upon what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you and opening up to you? Or is your belief system based upon what you are comfortable with and you find the scriptures that accommodate your belief or your unbelief? You see the difference? I've lost you already. Does that make sense? You see, we've got we to make sure that our belief system is in a person who's revealing our, himself to us and revealing his word to us. That we are not just creating God in our own image. We are not just picking and choosing scriptures that we are comfortable with. Does that make sense? But that we actually have a living faith. That's why the word of God is meant to be alive. So I'm a student of God's word, but I'm a student for this reason, that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection. That's what I'm a student for. It's not to bring God down. It's not to put him in a box so I'm comfortable enough. It's to say, God, you are God. My life is an open book to you. Whatever you have for me, whatever you promise for me, Lord, I want that. I want you and all that overflows from that. Now, Jesus promised to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that the Spirit is what? God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise him and glorify him. Do you praise and glorify the Lord through the week? You see, if the Holy Spirit is having his way in your life, you will praise him through the week. Worship will be on your lips through the week. You'll enjoy his presence through the week. Now, he says the Spirit is God's guarantee. Some of your Bible translations will say that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment. What is the down payment? It's the promise that there's more to come. Now, I've read the scripture many times, and I'm sure you have, but as I reflected on it again this week, the Lord reminded me that when it comes to this, this idea of, of the down payment or the guarantee of our inheritance, oftentimes we read the scripture, we kind of think this way. Oh, yeah, I believe that. What the Bible is saying is that the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life is the guarantee that one day when I get into heaven, I'll get the rest, right? Are you tracking with me? Does anybody kind of think that way? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? He's here to remind me that heaven is my home, and one day I'm going to be there with him. Well, that's, that's, not, that's not wrong, but it's not the fullness of what that scripture means. As I was meditating upon that, what really struck me was the fact that we know that a down payment is a deposit of what we will possess, possess rather more fully in the future. But I want us to keep in mind, it is God who is making this promise. It is God who is making this deposit. So this deposit in my life is coming from God, is coming from the realm of God. It is coming from the realm where everything is perfect and whole and, and, and beautiful and holy and glorifying to God, right? It's coming from that realm into my life. And the scripture says that the Lord gives me from that realm a deposit or a down payment. You might say that it's a foretaste of the fullness that is still to come. Now, in that famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, we know, that is, we understand in part. 
we prophesy, we declare the things of God, as beautiful as it is, but it's still in part. But when the perfect comes, as John says later, when we see Jesus, when we are like him, for we shall see him as he is, when we are in the presence of the Lord forever, he says what is partial will be brought to an end. Well, why is it brought to an end? Is it brought to an end because it's no, it's, it's no good? No, it's just not needed anymore. When we're in the presence of the Lord, we're in heaven, we won't need these gifts of the Spirit. We won't need these revelation gifts because we will know. He says in verse 12, now we see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. In other words, Paul is saying, when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me as through a mirror. He doesn't look at me partially, does he? He looks at me completely. He knows me completely. He understands me completely. Well, you see, when I look at God, I don't have that ability yet because I'm still in a fallen world. I still live in this body. I still have limited understanding to some degree. But God looks at me completely. There is coming a day when I'm in the presence of the Lord that I will completely understand, that I will get it. I will get who God is. Instantly, I'll understand what eternity is. All these things I wonder about with a natural mind, to some degree that I don't understand, I will understand that completely, right? So that day is still coming, of course. But the Holy Spirit has been given to me as a down payment, meaning there is more to come. More what? If I give you $1,000 as a deposit on something that costs $11,000, when it comes time to make full payment, Am I going to say, hey, listen, I gave you $1,000, now here's 10,000 peanuts, and we're square. Would I do that? No. I would say, here's $10,000. Why? Because the deposit is the exact same currency as the full payment. You see? The deposit is a portion, yes, but in essence, it's the same as what the full payment will be. It is the same currency. Now, this is going somewhere, in case you're wondering, what in the world does this mean? Paul says, one day we will know everything fully. Until then, God has given us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of revelation, to know things that the natural mind can't know, to discern things, to understand things of God, things of the Spirit, things of how God would move and operate in and through my life day by day, through circumstances He wants to navigate me through. God has given me the Holy Spirit, whom He calls the Spirit of Revelation, right? I don't understand everything, but the Holy Spirit who lives in that realm lives in me, and He opens that realm to me as much as He needs to in His wisdom for what He's called me to be and to do and to minister around me. On another topic, one day in heaven, there will be no need for spiritual gifts. Why? Because there won't be any needs. We won't need the gift of healing. We won't need words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Whatever, all the spiritual gifts, we will not need all of those things because there will not be need. But until then, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, that, uh, life with a host of empowerments from heaven in order that we might be able to minister to the brokenness all around us. Whether he drops a word in our heart, whether he, he stirs our heart with compassion, whether he gives us faith to, to operate in the miraculous, whatever it may be, the Lord says, where you are, I want to be, I want to touch lives, and so I'm going to impart to you empowerment or ability from the realm of the Spirit to move in the natural realm to bring people to Jesus. Now, I could go on and on with different examples of that, but what I'm basically saying is this, that when Jesus fills you with the Holy Spirit, then a portion of what you will one day receive in its fullness 
now dwells in you. Does that make sense? He's in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he's not just a feeling. He's not just an ambiance. He's not just kind of like steam from a kettle. He is a person just like Jesus. And his intention, Jesus said in sending him, is that he will be in you so that you will be like me. That's why Jesus said in John 14, I tell you the truth. It's kind of funny that Jesus has to, you know, prefix anything by I tell you the truth. He's never told a lie. But it's like he's saying, listen, underline this. Okay, underline this. You can bank on this. Whoever believes in me will do the same things that I do. Those who believe will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And then he added in, in chapter 16, when I go away, I will send the helper to you. The helper, of course, being the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, listen, what I will do through the body of Christ will be greater in scope, greater in magnitude, because there will be a whole lot of you and not just me. Now, the Bible teaches that God has so freely and completely given himself to us that he actually, in the book of Romans, he calls us heirs of God. We receive the riches of God that are available to us in our life. But then Ephesians says that what God has done through the cross, that one of the reasons he has done that is because God says that, we, that he actually inherits us. So here's what goes on through salvation. As the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, we inherit God through salvation, but God also inherits us. It's like when you have a child. When you give birth to a child, you have inherited this child. This child is part of your life, and everything it means about having a child and a family. That child at the same, at the same time, what, what does he or she do? They also inherit. They inherit a mother and a father. They inherit a family. They inherit all the provision that goes with that. So in the family of God, when we're born into the family of God, we inherit God, God inherits us. And you can tell how much God loves you by what, it, by what he has entrusted to you. God has entrusted the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit lives inside every born-again believer. That kind of excites me. That's really neat. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. He really lives in me. Can you imagine if Bruce Lee lived in me? I mean, you know, if somebody came up here and, and, and tried to fight me and overpower me, and Bruce Lee lives in me, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to really hurt this person. I'm probably going to pull every muscle in my body if he's, you know, making my legs and arms do things that he can do and I can't do. But the point is, there's a person there, there's a, a presence, and all that he is, and all, some of you don't even know who Bruce Lee is, probably the younger generation, who's that, some Chinese restaurant, and a martial artist, okay, great martial artist, but in any case, I just want us to see a little bit, or at least ask ourselves, this is really what this morning is about, I just kind of want to whet our appetite, I want to ask ourselves, saints, what does it really mean that the Holy Spirit lives in you? What does it really mean that we are to grow in stature into the fullness of Christ? Is it just heaven stuff? Or does it make a difference that the Holy Spirit of God actually lives in me? Does he just live in me to save me from my sin? Or did he save me from my sin in order to do something else as well in me? I want us to think about this this morning for a little bit. Jesus said in John 7, the Holy Spirit is a river of living water. You see, he isn't just in you. He wants to get out of you. 
And that's really where a lot of us can be sometimes. We're so thankful, oh, Lord, you're in my life. Yeah, I'm in your life, but I want to get out of your life. I want to get through your life. That's what, that's what this salvation thing is really all about. He says he's a river of living water that flows through you to impact lives around you. The Holy Spirit is not a lake. We use the analogy all the time. He's not the Dead Sea. The Holy Spirit is not just a feeling. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a force from heaven that flows through my life and He flows through my words and He flows through my actions because He wants to impact lives around me. He wants to go after the impossible in and through my life. The Holy Spirit is in me for my sake, but He comes upon me for the sake of others. Saints, I hope we understand that as much as we enjoy the presence of the Lord, as good as it feels to come and worship the Lord, it's not supposed to stop here. We're supposed to leave the presence of God because there are certain things that happen dynamically when the people of God come together. together. Just as there are wonderful things in our own quiet time with the Lord, but there's some special things that can happen in ministry when the body of Christ comes together. But we're not meant to leave it all in the pews. We're not meant to go out just saying, Oh Lord, thank you for meeting my needs. I've met your needs, but I've met your needs for a reason. I've lifted you up for a reason. I've encouraged you for a reason. I've enthused you for a reason. I've set you on fire for a reason. Because there's people out there who don't know what you know. There's people out there who don't understand what you understand, who are dying out there and who need to know there's a living God. That's one of the reasons why I touch you and bless you and I've come to live within you. There's a reason for it. He comes upon us for, in us for our sake and upon us for others. Acts 1 and 8, we know it very well. Jesus said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit, what? Comes upon you and you will, what? Be my witnesses. You see the connection? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be evidence for what? For the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. You will be evidence for the fact that Jesus did not just start a new religion. They did not want a new religion. If you lived in Israel that day, people were up to here with religion. Powerless, empty religion, burdensome religion. They don't need that. You will be witnesses to the fact that God is alive, that he's here, that he loves you, he knows where you are, and he has power to change your life. You and I, every one of us here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, God still gives you this wonderful opportunity and invitation. But if you know the Lord this morning, we need to understand we have been given the privilege of learning how to host the presence of God. What an amazing privilege we have. Not just to know the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but to learn what that means. To learn what difference that makes. To learn how he wants to flow through us. How can he do that? You see, when we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, we received his new nature. And that new nature came with a God-given desire to advance the kingdom of God. Don't have to raise your hands. But how many remember when you first came to Christ and you were excited? Jesus was so new to you. He was so real to you. The contrast between light and darkness, truth and, and lies, it was so real to you. You just wanted to tell people. Why? Because you received a new nature. You received the nature of Jesus Christ in you. You didn't just become religious. You became a brand new person, a brand new nature. And in that nature, there is a desire to do what excites the heart of God. And nothing excites the heart of God more than reaching lost people. You see, statistically, that is why the vast majority of people who come to faith through the witness of somebody else, they come through the witness of someone who's been saved for less than two years. 
Isn't that amazing? The vast majority of people who come to Christ through a witness, they've been saved less than two years. Why? Because when you're new in Christ and you've got that new nature, that desire is there. When the Holy Spirit fullness comes, that desire is there to reach lost people, to do something bigger than just ourselves. And friends, if it's not there, if that desire is not there, I can almost guarantee you that there is disappointment in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you may be content with life itself because maybe life is going well or life's going okay. The job is there, the money is there, the recreation, whatever it may be, the things that you enjoy. Maybe you're happy with life itself, but you know inside that you were designed by nature to demonstrate the life of Jesus Christ by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. You know that as a spiritual being. You know that as a child of God. And I don't just mean in relationship to the problems that we all face. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to navigate through life in the difficult things we face. When I'm talking about the desire of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the appetite that God gives you to actually go out and start looking for problems. You hear what I'm saying? To actually look for people who are broken. To actually have it on your radar through the course of the week. Lord, who would you touch through me this week? Remember those good old days? Remember that? Remember it wasn't just a matter of kind of getting through the week? You know, if I could drag myself out to church on Sunday, if I'm not too tired, if my week wasn't too difficult. Remember when you actually woke up in the morning and Jesus was close to you and Jesus was real and your heart's desire was, Lord, use me today. Lord, is there somebody? Is there someone you would touch through me? Is there something you would speak through me? Is there somebody you would help me help, have me help? Is there someone you'd have me to show love or kindness to? Is there someone you'd have me pray for? You see, when the presence of, of the Holy Spirit, the nature of Christ, is having his way in our life, we look for those things that seem impossible. And we have this attitude that actually believes that any work of darkness has to bow its knee to Jesus Christ. For this reason, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the enemy, Jesus said. He said, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save those who are lost. You see, there's, there's something more that we believe. For example, Wednesday night prayer. If I'm just coming out on Wednesday night with a group of people, just to kind of toss one up and hope for the best, I might as well stay home. You hear me? I got better things to do. But if I honestly believe that I have authority in the name of Jesus, if I actually believe the words of Jesus who said, we're two or more gathered together in my name, that I am there. You see, if I actually believe that, then we're in business, right? When we come together to pray, we, we're in business. We understand that our prayers, they actually move things. They change things. The Spirit of God moves through us that we break into the realm of the Spirit and things begin to be different because people are praying. We believe in the power of prayer. God has given you that privilege. God has given you that appetite by his Holy Spirit. But what happens when we lose our appetite? What is that an indication of? We're sick, isn't it? If I don't have an appetite, something's wrong. And if I don't have an appetite for the things of God by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean I live in condemnation, but it's an indication that I've gotten off track somehow. I've kind of drifted a little bit from what this is really all about. I've, I've replaced 
that with other things. I've replaced the gratitude that God's nature has within me for my life to make a difference. I've replaced that with maybe earthly success or monetary success or career choice or busying my week, whatever the case may be. But in my heart, there is a longing for something more because that's who Jesus has made me. Now, Jesus referred to himself in Scripture and the Gospels uh, interchangeably as the Son of God and the Son of Man. And we understand the reason for that is because as the Son of God, Jesus was God of very, very God of God. He was God himself. He was God the creator, the Logos. He, he is the eternal God. We understand Jesus is God. That's, the, that's the, the wonder of our salvation that he became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the Son of God. But he's also the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, that means he is 100% man. We understand that? He's 100% human, okay, without sin, but he's 100% human. Jesus said in John 5, as the Son of Man, the Son can do nothing by himself. Will you read that with me? The Son can do nothing by himself. Now, I found it fascinating. I actually looked up that word nothing in the, Hebrew, in the Greek language. You know what it means in the Greek language? Nothing. Who would have thought? Jesus wants to understand, in, as a man, I can do nothing by myself. And I love that. Because Jesus is saying that although he is God, he absolutely refused to do life and ministry as God, but he decided to do life and ministry in a way that imperfect people like you and me could actually follow him. That's so important. Peter says we are to walk in his steps. You see, if Jesus lived and taught and touched people and did all the miracles as God, then don't get me wrong, I'm impressed. I mean, who, who wouldn't be? That's, that's amazing stuff. But if he did all that stuff as God, then that leaves me as a spectator. I just stand back and I applaud and I say, oh, that's wonderful. God, you're so powerful and you just showed your power. That's amazing, but I'm back here somewhere. But when I see Jesus become a human like me and face all the temptations I face yet without sin, and then he becomes personally empowered by the Holy Spirit and has this, new, this appetite for only the things that God has an appetite for, then I realize that Jesus has become my example. And he becomes an example that can be followed. You see... When I see all that Jesus did as a human being in right relationship with God, then I begin to become discontent. That's why it's so important that Jesus was a man. That's why it's so important that Jesus was entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Why? So that I understand, as a person who has been cleansed, free from sin, a person in whom the Holy Spirit has come to live, a person to whom Jesus has promised the empowerment by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that I, as a human being, can house the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, then I realize as I look at the life of Jesus, if I don't see happening in my life what Jesus demonstrated, then there comes a holy discontent. Not a condemnation, but a discontent. Because if Jesus is just God, then I can just write it off. And so many Christians in North America do that. Well, Jesus was God. Jesus was sinless. But look at me. You are sinless. It doesn't mean you don't sin. doesn't mean you can't sin. You have a new nature. You're brand new. 
Your sin has been cleansed, forgiven. If you do sin, you can confess it and be free again, be clean again. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in you just like he did with Jesus. That full measure, just as he gave to Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what I want to spend the rest of my lifetime pursuing. I may not always do it well, but my standard will be Jesus Christ. Did you hear me this morning? My standard will be Jesus Christ. It won't be any other person. It won't be anybody else's experiences. It won't be anybody else's theology. It's just me and Jesus. Jesus says, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I've done in your life. I've come to live within you. Now let's get on with it. I've given you a mission. I've given you a mandate. I've given you all the power that you need. Now I just need you to learn to grow. That's all. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. Don't covet anybody else's gifting. That doesn't matter. You see, Jesus needs to be our standard again. You see, if Jesus said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, then you know what? I don't care what you believe. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. I know it's true. That is my standard. If Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who wait on him until they receive power from on high, I don't care what you believe. I believe that. And you know what? That's my standard. You can have the same thing or not. That's totally up to you. But that's my standard. If Jesus says that I will in his name cast out demons, speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick and see them recover, then guess what? That's what I believe. That is my standard. That's my standard. That is my God-given appetite. The Bible says in Matthew 9, now I know some of you are getting all weird on me. We're going to address your fears in the weeks to come. In Matthew, he says this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing most diseases and most afflictions. Every disease, every affliction. Some of you get real nervous. Mark added these words. He said, and he also cast out many demons. Jesus healed every single person that was brought to him. He, brought, he healed every person that the Father had brought to him. Now, I know some are thinking, well, how about in his own town? He didn't heal any. I believe the simple reason for that is because they just didn't come to him. Jesus healed those who came to him. In his own city, they didn't believe in him. He had a few miracles, a few people that said, hey, I believe in you. But by and large, they didn't even believe in him. He just walked through the streets. Oh, there's Jesus. He walked in other towns. There's Jesus. And they thronged to him. And they brought their sick, and they brought their possessed. And Jesus worked many miracles. Anyways, we'll talk more about that down the road. But I want us to understand that Jesus needs to be the only standard that we follow. Now, please understand this. When I talk about him being the standard, when I look at these scriptures of what he did and what he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to grow into, what he wants to do through us, I want to understand there's no condemnation in that. There's no shame. You see, I'll pray for somebody, for example, because Jesus says that by the Holy Spirit in me that he can heal the sick. I believe that. But you know what? If I pray for someone and they're not healed, I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm not going to tell the person that they don't have enough faith. And whatever you do, don't do that. That's not from the Lord. I don't know how many people I've seen that have been sick and sometimes with terrible disease or in the wheelchair and all these different scenarios that we look like as, as such great challenges. And I don't know how many times I've been told, well, if you only had more faith, don't you dare tell a person that. Because if I pray for somebody and they're not healed, you know what my response is? Lord, I need more faith. There's things I need to understand. There's things I don't quite understand yet, but I'm not giving up on that. That's not my identity. My identity is not whether or not something happens. My identity is I'm a son of God. 
My identity is I'm blood-bought. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's my identity. And I understand that there's a whole lot of stuff I still need to learn. But Jesus is my standard. Not some theology that accommodates unbelief. Not some theology that accommodates the brokenness and sickness all around me as if God can't do anything. He can do that. Jesus still comes to seek out and to save the lost. Jesus still comes to destroy the works of darkness. That's what he wants to do through his people. And he has to be our standard again. There has to be a holy discontent in us, not a self-condemnation, not a shame, not a judging of one another. There needs to be a fresh revelation of what it means for the Holy Spirit of God to actually take up residence in us and what it is that he may want to do in our lives or through our lives. We just need to grow. Because what I will do if things don't go according to my expectation, I'll just get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, teach me. Show me. Have more of me so you can do more through me. That's what goes on in the secret place. That's what goes on in your quiet time with the Lord. That's where you receive in that secret place. That's where you're refined. It's in that secret place between you and the Lord. And then we leave our secret place and we go into the public place and we look for needs. We look for problems. We look for opportunities. We take risks. We go in the public place. We go in our schools. We go in the workplace. Has this ever happened to you? You see an obvious need walk by and you feel a prompting in your heart. Pray for them. Not me, Lord. <laughs> right? How many of us have ever experienced promptings from the Holy Spirit and haven't done it? How many of us are lying this morning? Right? We all do. We all feel a prompting. It could be baking cookies for our neighbor. It could be, you know, that, that co-worker going through divorce, just befriending them, getting involved in their lives, loving them. It could be praying for somebody. Whatever it is, the Lord prompts us several times through the day. We all experience that. It's nothing mystical. But what, is it, what does it require for us to be Jesus where we are? It requires that we take risks. It requires that we risk failure. It requires that we risk embarrassment. But you know why we do that? We do it because we have an appetite. We have an appetite to see the powers of darkness around us bend their knee to the power of Jesus Christ and to his love and to his kindness. That is what we've been called to. That is our privilege. Matthew goes on to say, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sleep without, sheep without a leopard. Uh, sleep without a leopard. You'll forget everything else I said this morning, but I'm going to leave that with you. Okay? Like sleep without a leopard. You go to, go to work and say, man, you look like you had no sleep. Are you a leopard? And then you can reach out and minister to them. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? We, we, have the, we read the scripture, we think of missionaries, global workers, you know. Jesus is saying the world is broken around us. You know what you need to pray for? You just need to pray that the people of God will get out of Jerusalem and get into Samaria and Judea and the uttermost regions of the earth. That's what I got to do. Anyways, the physical presence of Jesus Christ in the world was proof that God had not abandoned us. 
You know what? I can imagine the disciples. You imagine when Jesus rose from the dead, 40 days walking around, meeting the disciples, going through Jerusalem, and the incredible stuff people would have seen. Wow, he's alive. Can you imagine the disciples wondering, well, then, Father, why are you taking him back? Can't you just leave him here for 30 years? I mean, imagine what God could do in his kingdom if just, Jesus just stayed alive for another 30 years, then take him back. But Jesus understood something. He said, guys, if I remain, I'm going to be limited by my physical ability to be in different places. I came to bring redemption to mankind, but I can't bring that redemption to the world if it's just me. I've got to go to the Father so the Father can what? Send you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, so that I can live in all of you, and I can be present wherever you are present, and I can go wherever you go, and as you spread throughout the earth, I will be in all those places, a bunch of Jesuses everywhere, doing all the things that I've always done. And that's what was evidenced in the early church. It was a brilliant strategy. Through the Holy Spirit in us, God's plan to let the people we meet know that God hasn't abandoned them. People, our, our society doesn't need more religion. They don't even need people around them who live nice lives. They need people around who are evidence that God is real, that he loves them, that he wants to speak into their lives. He wants to touch them. He wants to heal them. He wants to, he wants to restore them. He wants to bring them to himself. They need to know that God has not abandoned them. So many people in our culture today believe in a God, but they don't believe that God has time for them or cares about them. You know, you've heard the expression, well, I'd go to church, if I walked into church, you know, everybody would die or God would strike me dead or something. You know, people just have this mindset that God's the enemy. And God wants us to show by his presence in us. I'm going to ask musicians to join me as we close this morning. Jesus modeled something for us. He modeled what life would be like for those who are no longer a slave to sin, but who are completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. The first qualification was met when you opened your heart to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that by his precious blood that he shed on the cross, he washed away our sin. The record of sin is gone. The root of that sin system has been broken in our life. We are no longer a slave to sin because of what Jesus has done for us. That's the first qualification. The second qualification is entirely up to you and me. And it's simply this. How full of the Holy Spirit do you want to be? That's the only question. That's the only question. How full do you want to be? How full, how empowered by the Holy Spirit do you want to be? Amen. That's exactly it. Because we think of fullness, right, as to the brim. That's not fullness in God's economy. Fullness in God's economy is filled to overflowing. Why? Because it's the overflowing that begins to touch lives around us, that begins to bring life to everything that is around us, whether it's through acts of love, acts of kindness, or even miracle power. The Holy Spirit is in you for your sake, but He is upon you for the sake of those around you. This morning, really, all I've wanted to do is just stir up an appetite in our hearts this morning to be the people of the Spirit, to be people through whom He rescues and He restores those who are harassed and helpless, because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. And I believe with all my heart this morning, saints, and we're going to talk about more in the weeks to come, and you'll learn a lot more, too, if you come to our conferences. But I believe the Lord is making it very clear in these days in which we live that we are living in a day 
where everybody gets to play. Isn't that wonderful? We are living in a day in the body of Christ in the church where if we want to, we all get to be involved. It's not about who's on the platform. It's not who both has been called to ministry. You know who's been called to ministry? Look to the person beside you. We've all been called, amen, to be people in whom the Spirit lives and through whom He does the same things that He did through Jesus. Sometimes Jesus healed the sick. Sometimes Jesus was moved by compassion and just loved somebody and said, Daughter, I forgive your sins. Go and sin no more. That's life-changing too. It's a whole gamut of things. But it's just being open to, Lord, what's the need today? What are you doing today? What would you do through me today? Can we stand together? I'm going to ask the ministry team to come simply because if you're here this morning and, and you'd say, Pastor, I, I don't know God and I, I just want the life of His Spirit in me. I, I want God to be alive in me. We invite you to come. We want to pray with you. Or if you have a need this morning, sickness in your body, whatever it may be, we want to pray. So the team's going to come. But as they come, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask you just to take your hands and put them out in front of you and just cup them as if you're receiving. Would you do that? Just in a posture of surrender. Nothing magical, mystical about this. Just, just a welcoming posture. And as we sing this song softly, would you just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, stretch me. Holy Spirit, show me who you are and the new things that you're calling me to. We're just going to sing this refrain a couple times and we'll just sing it. You, you can just listen. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. But would you just say, Holy Spirit, in these weeks ahead, you have permission to come into my heart in a fresh new way and to reveal yourself to me. I thank you for your word, but make your word alive to me in a way that actually shapes my life. Forgive me for shaping you. Forgive me for creating you in my own limited understanding. I've made an idol out of you that's powerless. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and show me, shape me by your word and your promise and by your fullness. Holy Spirit, I receive this morning in a fresh new way. Will you just do that, have your own conversation with the Lord this morning just for a moment? We're just going to sing that song softly, but as we do, would you just do as this song says, come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus.